0: Game Quest is brought to you by Smoky Mountain Organics, East Tennessee's most trusted health and wellness store, focusing on natural products and organic remedies to a variety of ailments. Visit one of the four locations located in Gatlinburg, Pigeon Ford, Sevierville, and the newest location in Knoxville at 8018 Kingston Pike, across from the Trader's Joe. And uh, there you can also buy online at the website of smokymountainorganics.com. It features the best brands in CBD products, bath and body care items, organic teas, and have the largest selection of plant therapy essential oils in Tennessee, plus many, many more items. So the new sponsorship promotion: if you go into any of their in-store locations and mention that you're a Vol fan and that you are a Volquest subscriber, you're going to get 15% off your total purchase price. That's on any in-store prices or any in-store purchases at Pigeon Forge, Gatlinburg, Sevierville, or the new Knoxville. Location. Your Game Quest Edition for Missouri starts now. It's another game day for Tennessee football and first year head coach Josh Heupel. Get in the know with Game Quest, a VolQuest pregame podcast with Ben McKee and Eric Kane. Game Quest starts now. Welcome to Game Quest, your Missouri edition. I am Eric Kane, alongside Ben McKee. And uh, Ben, it's, uh, you know, Tennessee sits at 2-2 two two on the season, 0-1 in SEC play. A game on the road again for the second consecutive Saturday. Familiar turf for Josh Heupel. But anyway, I, I look around it, I dive into the numbers, I've been over it as have you all week long. Point blank, this is a game Tennessee can win. And I think Tennessee will win. Uh, what say you here on a uh, early Saturday morning of game day? Happy game day. Happy game day to you, my friend. Hope you are are well. It's a game that Tennessee has to
1: win first and foremost. It is a must win, which seems weird given that it's October 1st, uh, only the fifth game of the season. But I, I truly believe this week and next week against South Carolina are going to swing Tennessee's season one way or the other Tennessee's got to find a way to get this one because as I mentioned it will swing the season in a positive way or in a negative way the positive way I think it's a big step towards getting to six wins will Tennessee actually be bowl eligible this season uh, alluding to the investigation obviously who knows but you, you still want to get to six wins even if Tennessee self imposes a, a bowl band and hey if you don't self-impose a bowl band then you get to go play in a bowl game so uh, this is a big one in terms of getting to six wins this one and next week against South Carolina. You got to have them. You, you, you got to win uh, because if, if you don't, then you're going to make it real hard on yourself to get to that six win mark because you got wins against Vandy and South Alabama coming up. But if, if you drop one of these two games to uh, South Carolina or Missouri, then you have to pick off one of Georgia, Alabama, Ole Miss, or Kentucky. And I think Tennessee could win against Kentucky. Absolutely. Uh, I I think Tennessee has a a chance against Ole Miss. I wouldn't pick Tennessee to win that football game, but uh, Ole Miss's defense isn't all that great. So who knows if if Tennessee could put up some points and get into a shootout. And then obviously Alabama and Georgia are going to be really tough. So uh, regardless of how you slice it, those those four opponents, it's going to be a tough matchup for Tennessee. Uh, so Tennessee's got to make sure they pick up wins against Missouri and South Carolina in order to ensure that they do get to six wins. You
0: know, it's funny, Ben, you're either listening to the, uh, the, the incredible locked on balls podcast daily uh, Friday edition, or you might've had 99.1 uh, The one, these sports animal turned on uh, Friday morning at around six thirty. Actually, no, you didn't because you were preparing to get on the air at that time as well. Point being, I mean, that's my topic here the last couple of days, man. It's, and you beat me to it. It, it. This is a must-win game for Tennessee. And I, I say that in disclaiming right out in front, no this doesn't mean Josh Heupel's getting fired if you lose this football game. Uh if you lose this football game, do I think it's long does it mean long-term uh, non-success for Josh Heupel at Tennessee? No. It's just I I my why for this must-win game and why I believe it's a must-win game, my why is that Again, I've been diving into the numbers all week long. You and I are as close as anybody to, to the Tennessee football program, so maybe we're blinded a little bit. But, I mean, Tennessee's better than Missouri. Missouri might have more depth than Tennessee, but the, the front-end talent is you know greater than uh, to, to Tennessee's favor in, in a lot of ways. You know, Quarterback play for Missouri is good. Running back play has been really, really good. But across the board, I would say Tennessee's more talented. And just the opportunity there, and we'll dive into it, but – The rush defense for Missouri atrocious. The defense overall not good. I think Tennessee's defense is more talented. I think I I would bet Tennessee's defense would come up with more stops and, and force a turnover or two compared to that of Missouri. So must win for me. It's just a game that you should win. Go out and get it because then again, like you pointed out, next week South Carolina. If you lose this game, the next or the South Carolina Kentucky game are must wins if you want to you know, get to that bowl eligibility market. I know Tennessee fans and and even us in the media, we need to get out of the whole mindset of, well, if Tennessee can get to six wins, here's the path. But, you know, until Tennessee's out of that tier, you got to talk about it. And that's kind of where we are. So you don't want to be in a position to where you have to win both South Carolina and Kentucky to get to six wins. I think this is a game that Tennessee can win. And that's what I'm expecting. Wow. (laughs) Will it be easy? No, it will not be easy. There are going to be some challenges, and I think the challenges start with that Missouri offense, Ben, that, that will put up points and will make it tough on Tennessee's defense.
1: Well, first, if if your Friday edition of Locked on Falls podcast weren't so negative, I definitely would listen to it. But I, I prefer positivity.
0: Is, is, is that this week's or last week's? Because last week's was negative. This It's either I'm too hard on Tennessee or I'm not positive enough on Tennessee. There's never an in-between, right? That's right.
1: But if, if all of your Friday – Locked On Vols podcasts weren't so negative, I, I would definitely listen. But yeah. uh, as I was saying, I'm, I'm a positive person. I'm, I'm a glass half full type of guy, Eric. So uh, no no Friday edition of Locked On Vols for me anytime soon until you change your mindset, sir. Hey,
0: hey r- real quick, though. The last – okay, so in the Tennessee Tech game in the – not in the Florida game, but in the Tennessee Tech game and in this game right here going into Missouri, on our picks at VaultQuest.com that we release on Friday – I have been the one with the highest score for Tennessee and everybody says that I'm so hard on Tennessee, but yet I have Tennessee scoring the most points almost consistently this season. So just wanted to point that out. <laughs> How'd that work for you last week? Yeah, Well, I picked Tennessee to lose, but I, I picked Tennessee to lose by a little less of a margin. I, I was close to my prediction. I had 31, 21. And if Jimmy Calloway
1: makes that catch on fourth and five and Tennessee can find a way to punch it in there, there's 21 points. And then, Florida scored a garbage time touchdown, so I, I was close last week. I'll pat myself on the back for that one, if you don't mind. But uh, this this Missouri football team it it, it revolves around Connor Baselack and Tyler Beatty. Those are are the two guys that Tennessee is going to have to stop um, this week. And I think Connor Baselack is a is a pretty good quarterback, quite quite honestly. Uh, doesn't have a ton of talent around him. They just have a bunch of dudes at receiver. There, there's nobody that stands out and. For some teams, it could be a good thing if you have a bunch of, of receivers, and Missouri does, it's just not like uh, Alabama and they have a bunch of good receivers. It's, it's just the a bunch of dudes, quite frankly, and nobody really stands out. Uh, they, they rotate in a lot of guys. Kiki Chisholm is, is their best receiver, in my opinion. Uh, a former transfer from Division II, Angelo State, prior to the COVID-2020 season, and uh, he, he had a solid season, first season in Missouri last year, uh, caught 26 passes for 326 and a touchdown over the final five games. And uh, they have three guys that they rotate in and out in the slot. Chance Looper, uh, a redshirt freshman who uh, is very talented youngster. Uh, Barrett Bannister, the old man of the group, a, a redshirt senior. And then Mookie Cooper, a redshirt freshman from East St. Louis that transferred to Missouri from Ohio State and hasn't played a ton just yet because uh, he's working himself back from a foot injury during fall camp and and didn't appear to participate in practice this Tuesday and was spotted wearing shorts and a T-shirt rather than pads. Missouri was hoping that Mookie Cooper, the Ohio State transfer, was going to be to them what Wondell Robinson, the the Nebraska transfer, has been to Kentucky, and, and that just has not uh, happened so uh, Toski Dove Dominic Lovett some other guys in that Missouri room but nobody stands out that that's my point have have a bunch of kind of C to C plus type of guys but no no game changing playmakers and and that's why you see Tyler Beatty which I'm sure we'll dive into used so much in the passing game
0: there are six players for Missouri Beatty included that have at least ten receptions on the season there are eight players that have scored at least one touchdown receiving on the season for Missouri. So to your point, they've got a lot of guys that play, and they've got a lot of guys who have touched the ball, but they don't really have a main guy right now. If I had to point to anybody, it would be Kiki Chisholm, who's really kind of been their possession receiver a lot during that Boston College game, that loss last week.
1: Yeah, and to me it's both a good and a bad thing that you have a bunch of guys contributing as the numbers that you just – informed us of indicate like yeah it's it's a good thing that a lot of guys are involved but you'd also like to have a bona fide playmaker on the perimeter uh to to help out base like it and he just doesn't have that so uh this this is the Tennessee defense as you said earlier that I think should be able to make some plays I'm, I'm not necessarily necessarily worried about the secondary I'm I'm worried about the safety spot from Tennessee yeah uh, Jalen McCullough Trayvon Flowers, hasn't been a good season for them, in my opinion. But uh, the, the bigger circle that I'm circling is Tennessee's pass rushers going up against Missouri's tackles. Uh, Missouri's tackles have been uh, very good this season. Javon Foster at left tackle, Hyron White at right tackle. They're both redshirt juniors. Both have been on the field this season for 175 dropbacks and and pass protection. And Javon Foster, the left tackle, has allowed just three pressures and one sack in four games. And Hyder White has been even better uh, in those 175 dropbacks. Uh, He has given up zero sacks and only two pressures, those numbers according to Pro Football Focus. So they have a, a really solid offensive line. And when you look at the statistics, of the offensive line, uh, it's even better than just watching with your eye. Uh, they're the nation's best, or one of the, the best at, at keeping Connor Bazelak untouched this season, have only allowed three sacks through the first four games. Two of those sacks came in the opener, uh, and at 0.75 sacks allowed per game, Missouri is sixth in the country and second in the SEC in sacks allowed. So they do a good job of, of keeping Bazelak protected. And part of that, Eric, there's a lot of dinking and dunking. I don't know if you picked yeah. up on that, but if you were to look at the box score, you see 51 pass attempts against Kentucky week two. You see 41 this past week against Boston College. And and what do you think when you hear that? Oh, this guy's 20, 30, 40 yards down the field trying to just flat out rip it. It's not that. It's a lot of dinking and dunking trying to get it to Tyler Beatty out of the backfield. So if if, if Tennessee can generate some pressure, which Missouri has, has not allowed this season impressively, if they could generate some pressure, affect Bayzlack and keep an eye on Tyler Beatty out of the backfield, I do, as you mentioned earlier, think Tennessee can make some plays defensively in this football game.
0: Yeah, and that, that's what gives me pause a little bit um, about defensively. You know, more so you, you'll still have a better opportunity compared to – that's what I said in the round table. You'll, you'll still have a better opportunity to get to the quarterback compared to what, you know, Emory Jones would give you last week. Because Connor Bayside is going to sit back. He's going to sit there and try to look for a guy and, and throw it to him. But to your point, something I definitely did pick up on the more as the week went on, a lot of thinking and dunking, getting the ball out quickly. So, again, it, it's like when you and I went to go watch uh, you know, Walter Nolan against Anderson County there in week one for Powell. I mean, Anderson County and Walker Martinez got that football out really, really quick just to avoid big Walter Nolan, right? Um, you know, Kind of the same thing in the quick passing attack. So can Tennessee's ends, can Barron, can Young, can Harrison – can those guys get back there, get their hands up, disrupt it a little bit, Blakely, Tremblay, and, you know, guys on the edges, can, can you be more of a factor or is it just going to put more and more and more pressure on the safeties, on Theo Jackson, on the linebackers? You know, Boston College sat back and played zone a lot of the time and tried to keep everything bottled up in front of them. And like made two interceptions, two mistakes, both interceptions, and they were costly. Um, you know, I'm intrigued to see if Tennessee will do that or if Tennessee will do this. Listen to this, Ben. You were diving in some pro football focus numbers I will as well. Hendon Hooker, I'm not going to get into his stats, but he has been exceptionally well when pressured this year. Very, very well. I mean, one of the nation leaders in terms of the drawbacks when blitz and under pressure. Blazlak, or Blazlak, excuse me, not so much from Missouri. He's been uh, he's been pressured on 20% of his drawbacks. He's been 8-27, zero throwaways. So he's, he's either forcing it or he's taking a sack. Um, but not taking many sacks, to we pointed out, he has a forty-three passer rating, one hundred eighteen point three rating when he isn't pressured. So when he isn't pressured, one hundred eighteen point three. When he is pressured, a forty-three passing rating, which is just not good. So you know, a lot of that is to are since he's going to stay back and play zone and play it safe, or since he going to try to get after it, knowing that the quick passing attack is coming, but trying to to interfere with with um, you know plays like I, I, I'm intrigued to see exactly what it's going to do I think Tim banks is gonna to have to try a couple of different things but you know, that Missouri offense 483 yards per game 38 points per game so far you know not the best running team but just shy of 160 and it's pretty much all uh you know Beatty but it's thrown for about 325 yards per game getting 24 first downs a game here lately have been converting at an elite level on third downs you know 60 last game so you know Missouri's offense is going to be a challenge but again I I feel like there's going to be so much opportunity with the ball in the air. Tennessee can, can find a way to, you know, get, create a turnover, make a key stop. Whereas on the flip side, I don't care who's blocking. I don't care who's playing quarterback. I think Tennessee should score points point blank. Simple as that.
1: Yeah. I, I I feel the same way about the offense. I'll be curious to see how many points Tennessee scores, because at the end of the day, this is still a very inconsistent Tennessee yeah. offense, but right, I think I the it, opportunity is going to be there for sure.
0: Yeah. I, I mean, I had it 34 31 in our picks. You know, I, I don't think Tennessee is going to score 50. Um, it, you know, it, it hurts not having Cooper Mays. Your offensive line, you know, I think, I think Brent put this in the war room. I mean, you just, you can't afford an injury. Uh, point blank, you got all the lane at left guard. If you have one more guy go down, you are in some serious, serious trouble because Tennessee has no faith right now at least it seems, in Dane Davis or Jeremiah Crawford to come in and slide Cade Mays back down. So, I mean, you're in trouble. So the offensive line, it, it, it's not great. It struggled against Tennessee Tech a couple of weeks ago. I get that. But the opportunity, which is how bad the defense is, 294 yards given up against Southeast Missouri State, 322 against Kentucky. Kentucky's a good running team. Uh, 275 against Boston College. A really big tendon. I you know, had two tight ends and a fullback a lot of the time. It's just, it, you know, whatever scheme has been thrown at them, they have no answer for the run in that four-two-five. And, you know, Jabari Small, Tyon Evans, you, we saw how well they worked together, not only in the Bowling Green game, of course, but last week against Florida. Now, did they go off for as much as they did in the opener? No, they didn't. But it was effective. They both got an equal, you know, share load and 11 carries. And, and I feel like they both performed pretty well. So the opportunities there on offense, despite not having, you know, your best five up front, in my opinion.
1: Yes, I, I, I agree. And I, I started the week off feeling like Tennessee would win this football game. But as the week has gone on, I feel more confident in, in Tennessee winning this football game. And, and I don't think it's because game day has, has creeped closer. I genuinely see Missouri's defense on, on film, listening to the coaches speak over at Missouri this week and think there's a lot of opportunity for Tennessee, even without Cooper Mays and uh, without Cooper Mays, it, it does give me a little pause for concern because they have not run the ball. Well, whenever he's not been in the game, when, when Tennessee has run the ball, well, it was before he got hurt against Bowling Green on quarterback runs out of the pocket, or when Cooper was playing against Florida, every other time, when Cooper has not been in the game, Tennessee has not run it down an opponent's throat behind the offensive line. It just has not happened. So there is a concern there. But Missouri's defense is so bad that even with Ollie Lane at left guard and Jerome Carvin at center, Tennessee should still be able to, to run the football. And what has changed it for me this week is, again, listening to – Eli Drinkwitz explained the struggles in the run game. Uh, Steve Wilkes, their defensive coordinator, explained the the issues in the run game. And it's it's all predicated on lack of communication on on Missouri's defense. Uh, They have openly talked about this week that they are struggling to communicate the plays to one another and get everybody aligned properly before the ball is snapped. So – if, if you're allowing all those stats that you mentioned, Eric, about the, the rushing totals that, that Missouri has given up, and they even gave up 194 to Central Michigan in the opener. yeah. If, if you're struggling against the run, you're struggling to get lined up, communicate the plays against those four teams, which Boston College, a, a great running team, Kentucky, a great running team, Tennessee is going to be a different challenge. And that challenge is the tempo. Tennessee runs – practically three plays a minute, most in the country. And and against running offenses that, that don't go up-tempo, you're struggling to communicate the play in and get aligned properly. What are you going to do against a team that gets to the line as quick as possible and their whole shtick is snapping it as quick as possible to get the defense out of sorts, to, to catch them out of alignment? Tennessee's going to have a field day tying up the minds of Missouri's defensive players. Every single player is going to be tied up like a pretzel uh, in, in their mind. So that, that's what's changed kind of the confidence for me from Monday to Friday is that I think Tennessee is really going to take advantage of the miscommunication and the lack of being aligned on Missouri's defense with the up-tempo. And I think that will also make up for Cooper Mays being out. And I wanted to point one other thing out about the lack of depth along the offensive line. It's not even just the, the lack of faith in, in Jeremiah Crawford and Dane Davis that you pointed out, Eric. I think they have it even less faith in the interior linemen that are up next. No 100%. Kingston Harris this week. Uh, you're, you're without Riley Locklear because he had to medically retire from football. You really miss Karon Calvert. You're without Cooper Mays. Chris Akrogane was in a boot this week, and, and – even in the midst of being in that boot, was walking around with a pretty good limp. So I would imagine he doesn't play. I'm not not ruling him out because you can wear a boot all week and still play. It may what do be you a precaution. There?
0: It, I mean, Jackson Lampley,
1: he's not ready to play in the SEC. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. James Robinson not ready. Uh, William Parker not ready. And, and again, William, William Parker
0: is more of a tackle. I mean, we're, we're yep. running out of names That's, here, man.
1: Yep. Yep, that's where I was going. That's where I was going is that William Parker has been working more at tackle. So that's why you saw the note in the war room from Brent and Austin that that's why K took some some reps at guard this week as an emergency because I think if if Ollie Lane's playing poorly, Jerome Carvin playing poorly, Spraggan's playing playing poorly, I think they would still ride with them honestly even if they're they're playing poorly because yeah. they're still better than the guys behind them. But if there's an injury to Ollie Lane or Carvin or Spraggan's I think that they would slide Kate inside and and bring in Dane Davis or Jeremiah Crawford because they, even though they don't have a ton of faith in them, they have more faith in them than the other options in the interior.
0: Another note here on the offensive line, this is now the third time we're bringing up pro football focus. I went from a guy that did not care a lick about pro football focus to always bring it up, looking at it, and always saying, all right, take it with a grain of salt, but look at this. I mean, Ollie Lane against Florida. Take it for what it is. Had the highest grade offensively for Tennessee. 18 snaps. Okay, so he played about a third of the snap of everybody else in terms of you know who was out there the entire game. Um, 18 snaps, he had a 73.8, which is considered an above average starter grade. He his pass blocking was at 84.6, and that was on 13 pass blocking reps. So that's improvement. That, that's where he struggled the most. Run blocking 72.3, which he's a better run blocker, even in the bowling green game. Whenever Cooper went down, Tennessee continued to run and run and run. I mean, Ollie Lane was in there for majority of that that run share for quarters two through on. Um, so, Ollie Lane had the highest grade out of any offensive player against Florida last week. Again, about a third of the reps. So, you know, you want to take a silver lining from that. You know, it looks like Ollie Lane might be maybe improving or what to see if it's an anomaly. But He's played better than I thought he would. No, yeah, well, he was – We I would have never said – never said – Ollie Lane would have factored into the offensive line rotation this year. Never. Him or Kingston Harris. Nope. And that's no, that's no disrespect to those guys. Um, Ollie Lane, a local kid, good community in Gibbs shout out to Gibbs used to live over there, but I just, I would have never ever uh, accounted for that. I mean, I, my impression coming into the season was, you know, K Ron Calvert and Dane Davis are going to battle it out. Okay. K Ron Calvert's not there. looks like Dane Davis is going to get a chance. Oh, nope, we're not going to do that. Okay. Um, and then Dane Davis is going to be your swing man at that point. Oh, no. Okay, so what happened with Dane Davis? Was it overhyped in spring? So, I mean, We heard from a lot of people. I mean, it wasn't just us out there watching him take first-team reps, but we heard it from coaches. We heard it from players. I mean, you know, what, what's gone on from the start of camp until now to where the coaches literally don't have any faith to, to put him at right tackle to slide cave and inside to to help out a little bit? I mean, it, it's, it's kind of shocking, to be honest with you. And, again, I understand he was a former walk-on, and he is what it is, but – I thought he would have played a much bigger role in the offense to this point, especially considering the injuries. I just, I never thought Ollie Lane would be a a key contributor. I thought it'd be Dane Davis over him.
1: I can't tell you from an offensive line standpoint, why Dane Davis is not playing, but I do think part of it is the fact that Darnell Wright has really taken to left tackle because when we did hear about Dane Davis, it was pretty much because he was the only body. Ron Calvert was, was having his knee cleaned up during the spring
0: they had Cade uh, and um, they had Kane and Darnell both repping a right tackle in the spring.
1: And, and yep. So I think part of it's Darnell sliding over to left tackle. And he may not be a world beater, but he's certainly serviceable more so than than Dane Davis would be. So uh, I, I couldn't tell you why Dane hey. Davis isn't playing from an offensive line technical standpoint, but it's clear to me that they they don't they don't trust him at this point.
0: Darnell Wright's going to play himself into money. Think so? I think so. Um, and that's just, you know, coming c- coming into his college career, it's like, well, yeah, of course he will. And then seeing, you know, his career up to this point and now the move to left tackle him, like you said, I mean, is he fan, Is he all SEC? No, he's still learning. I mean, he, he, he's he got a couple of holding calls this season to where he's tired. He's getting beat. He's holding. I get it. But he's got such quick feet. He's athletic. He's dropped the weight. I think he'll continue to get better at left tackle Um, play again next year. I think he's, I think he's going to play himself into money over there at left tackle, because again, that's just such a, such a critical position in football. So we'll have to see. I mean, long way to go. I don't know. Just kind of a, kind of a passing comment. Um, One of the best storylines of the week for me, Ben, and this is just insane. I put it in my first glance piece when I discovered it, actually. Um, Sean Robinson, who was the starting quarterback for Missouri last year at Neyland Stadium before Connor Bazilak came in and took over, he's the starting free safety for this team. He has a pick on the season. So when we talk about the struggles, yeah, when we talk about the struggles defensively for Missouri, it's like they got a quarterback out there playing. They really do. Um, shocking to me, to say the least. Good for him for finding the field, but that is shocking to me. And what's that say about? I, I I keep saying I think from a depth standpoint. Missouri is probably better than Tennessee because Tennessee has no depth, but maybe not in some places, maybe not in the back end. They played a lot of young guys, in the, specifically a cornerback in 2020. They're a year older, and you know they're, they've been through the ring of fire and all that, but maybe they're extremely shallow at safety if they have Sean Robinson being a key contributor.
1: Yeah, I also think part of it is that he's actually been a legitimate defensive back to the surprise of, of many over there in missouri maybe it's maybe i'm being too kind but well, he was like, he's played well
0: yeah we knew we knew last year that he was the athletic quarterback coming in he's an athlete and a lot of times those guys just sometimes got to find the field somewhere else
1: yeah he's played well back there at safety so it's not like that they're they're having to put a, a former no. quarterback back there it's just kind of of bays like passed him up and he, he saw an opportunity and, and took it and, and ran with it and, and he's performed well. But I, I think the safety tandem is is probably the the strongest part of uh, Missouri's defense between uh, Sean Robinson, the, the former quarterback that you mentioned, uh and and Jalen Carly's. I don't I don't know if I'm saying that correctly, but yeah. uh, number one, the the other safety. He's he's very impressive. I, I remember watching him against Kentucky. Does Carle's not play corner? Sorry to cut no. you off.
0: Does he not play corner?
1: Uh, Yeah, I mean, he may bounce back and forth, but I've seen him mainly uh, at at safety and Missouri's depth chart has him listed at at safety Mm -hmm. as well. And like I was saying in the Kentucky game, he absolutely came up and and knocked the you know what out of somebody and and jarred the football loose, if I remember correctly. And they called targeting on the field. It was overturned uh, and he was not called for targeting, but he'll come up and hit you. So uh, we we talked about that on the Swain event this week. Is their corners have have played poorly this year uh, with Enos Rankstraw, who's probably probably their best corner. And they went out and got some transfers from Tulsa, a Caleb Evans, Ali Green, the fourth. They they've kind of been so so. Ishmael Berdine been been so so. And from a, a receivers perspective, and from a a defensive backs perspective, uh, Jason Swain reached out to Jonathan Wade, who was his teammate, played in the NFL corner and safety. Uh, he also reached out to uh, Fred White, who was on the 98 national championship team, played a big role on that national championship team. And both Jay Wade and Fred said that you would rather have – you would you would rather be stronger at safety than corner because the safety – he can, can be race. an eraser. Yep. yep. Can can help over the top, and a safety can come up and also help in the run game, obviously. So uh, I find it interesting that that's the strongest point of uh, Missouri's defense, at least through the first couple of games. They do have a good set of linebackers, so maybe I shouldn't definitively say the safeties are the best part. Uh, Devin Nicholson, the junior, Blaze Aldridge. Aldridge is a freaking beast, the transfer from Rice, who is just a, a cackling. Machine those four that a week, loss machine. Yes, he, he, he is. So blaze Aldridge, Devin Nicholson, I should mention them first. That's that's my fault. The, the two linebackers in that four defense uh, are the guys that stand out first and foremost, but then in the secondary, I think Tennessee's receivers are going to have a chance to, to get downfield. Like Javante Payton was able to against Florida, like we saw in the first couple of, uh, of games of the season and make some plays, but they'll have to keep a, an eye out for those safeties.
0: Uh, two more things before we get to our bowl prediction here, and we we set you on throughout game day. Um, you know, I put a bunch of notes – I put a couple of notes into uh, the, the general quarters a couple of days ago on uh, Tyler Beatty, and, uh, you know, people didn't like him because it says I was pumping him up. But he's got 30% of Missouri's total offense, total yards from scrimmage. Incredible. Um, of course, he leads the team in rushing and receptions and, and all that type of stuff. He's among, among the SEC leaders in points and all that type of stuff, too. Um, I think he's a good player. Don't get me wrong. I do think he's a good player. They've gone against some lesser competition. I understand that. Um, I know he didn't rush for hundred yards against Kentucky. I get that. Do you think Tyler Beatty is what he is and everything, or do you think it's just because they use the hell out of him? I think it's a little bit of both. I think he's a good player. I think they overuse him. I mean, uh, Knoxville's own, Elijah young barely gets any run and he's the number two tailback. So I think his numbers though, impressive and worth noting, um, uh, are, are very important and very impressive. But I, I think I think they overuse him an awful lot, don't you?
1: Yes, but I think they have to uh, because he is so good. So, I, like yeah. you said, I think it's a little bit of both. I, I think he is that good, and I also think that they have to use him that good because what did we say about the receivers? Well, they got a bunch of, of so-so guys, but they don't yeah. have a dynamic playmaker. Tyler Beatty is a, a dynamic playmaker, and he's just 5,000. Receipt or 5,005 receiving yards away from becoming the first Missouri player to ever rush for a thousand yards and have a thousand receiving yards. First, first player ever in Missouri history. Uh, he is on, on the verge of doing so is averaging 149 and a half all purpose yards this season, which is eighth nationally and, and most in the sec. Uh, he's accounted for 48 points this season. That's fourth in the country and tied First for the in co-lead the yeah. in the SEC or tied for the co-lead with LSU receiver Kayshawn Boutte. So uh, they, they have to use him as much as they do.
0: Maybe it's a woods thing because they did the same thing with Larry Roundtree last year.
1: Because they had to. Larry Roundtree is yeah. in the NFL right now. Yep. Larry Roundtree is a beast, uh, but they also they ran it more with Roundtree than they do Beatty. They, they run it with Beatty, mm-hmm. but they really like to use Beatty out of the backfield as a pass catcher. And that's like my third biggest key of the game that I've, or the third biggest matchup that I'm, that I'm watching for. I wrote about it, talked about it this week. First one is Tennessee's rushing offense against Missouri's putrid rushing defense. That's number one. Uh, Number two is those, those solid good Missouri tackles that haven't allowed much pressure, which part of that is Missouri getting the ball out so quickly, but they've also done good, good job this season of not allowing Connor like to take a ton of hits. Can Tennessee generate pressure? That's the second matchup I'm watching for. And then the third matchup I'm watching for, and you can speak better to, to this than I can because you played linebacker in college and, and you understand defending the running back in, in different situations is how does Eli Drinkwitz match up Beatty in different plays on different players within Tennessee's defense? Does he try to get them
0: matched up on a linebacker, whether it's, Jeremy Banks, uh, Jawan Mitchell. I am putting Beatty as the number three option every time. So he is lined up against Jeremy Banks and I'm sending him out, you know, drag routes. I'm putting him out in the slots, curls underneath, you know, what it screens. I am making him the number three option. So twins over here or a wide out, a tight end, put Beatty on that side to make him number three. That would be Jeremy Banks' guy and man. And I'm attacking Jeremy Banks, especially after... I- Kind of seeing the struggles in man coverage against Florida. I would too if I'm Missouri, but yeah. if I'm Tennessee, I counter <laughs> with a little bit of Aaron Beasley. I wonder if we see more
1: Aaron Beasley this week because I think Aaron Beasley is is the most well suited guy in that linebacker room to match up athletically with Tyler
0: Beatty. And you can flip, you can flip those two linebacker spots. Like Banks could still call the defense if he's playing well, right? Like you, could, they're interchangeable. Um, I don't know how much. I, Honestly, I haven't picked up on it if they've done it. I'm sure they've done it a little bit. I don't know how much they flip-flopped you know, Mike Will, Mike Will, whatever, but they are interchangeable, so you can do that, to your point. And I, I
1: don't know how good Aaron Beasley is in coverage. I don't, but just better knowing than, that he's – Better than Banks. Yes, and I'm just going off the simple fact that he's more athletic than Banks. Banks is athletic, don't get me wrong, but uh, I, I feel like Beasley moves a little bit better and, and could match up with, with – Beatty um, a little bit more and I also wonder like if if you're Tennessee and and you see Beatty split out wide or or go in motion to split out wide do you make a quick adjustment and throw Theo Jackson on him now I don't know if you do that then whoever Theo Jackson was defending who goes out there do you bring a safety down because I'm not bringing McCullough down I try to avoid McCullough on Beatty all day long I try to avoid McCullough in coverage as Every single time McCullough, just quite frankly, has not been good in coverage because he's too slow. He's not athletic enough. And, and Flowers hasn't been that great either. I think I would bring down Flowers to take Theo's man if you put Theo on Beatty uh, because you don't want a linebacker out there in the slot on a receiver. So you may be left with no choice to play Flowers or you, you take McCullough off the field and put a more athletic DB in the game for McCullough. I don't know that that's, that's what I'm, I'm speaking to- in over my head on that's a, a Tim banks thing, but just to wrap up real quick, three, my third matchup that I'm looking for, you got to find Beatty out of the backfield. They love to use him. Tennessee's got to be ready for him.
0: Yeah. I mean, Tennessee will mix up his coverages. Of course, uh, you know, man, a lot of times zone uh, again, I, I think you need a healthy dose of both of those. And plus a lot of times when they're in zone, they have a man within zone. I mean, if you, if you're playing, you know, cover two over the top or cover three underneath or whatever, you know, you have it, you're going to a man in your zone and then you're passing him along. Um, also, if they are just killing Tennessee with you know short little you know dinks and dunks here and all that, and they've they've kind of gone away from the passing game a little bit, you could take a Jeremy Banks and or an Aaron Beasley out, put Theo in the box as a linebacker in a money spot, and then bring in a Denico Slaughter or a Christian Charles or somebody else like that. That is also an option. Um, so we'll have to say I, I just wanted to add real quick on, on the kind of the dinking and dunking. I feel like Tennessee's
1: done a, a good job against the the dinks and the dunks. This season, have you have you picked up on that? I noticed that against Florida, I made a mental note of, and I'm mainly referring to, I don't know if I mean it is Dinkin and Duncan to me, but like wide receiver screens, all the different variations. Yeah, Tennessee has done a really good job of blowing up those blocks and swarming to the ball and gang tackling those receivers.
0: Right there, swarm. Tennessee has swarmed so well defensively, and I mean a lot of times if you if you're lacking talent, if you're if you're lacking. Uh, you know, just the numbers defensively, you can, you know, mask a lot of that just with just with playing hard, you know, hustling, swarming to the football gang tackling. I, you know, it was a turnover for a reason. But I mean, that's that Alante that Taylor strip th- that play, put it on repeat, played in the Anderson training facility. That's what you show recruits, because you had you had flowers holding him from behind okay, at, at the bottom, I mean, and then you had Alante Taylor come in strip it out, you had Banks smack him, you had Beasley jump on the ball. I mean, that is teach tape if I've ever seen it. So Tennessee defensively, doing the little things right. You're right. They have swarmed, and they've done a really nice job with that. I – you know, when it comes down to it, I still just see – I see Tennessee's defense making a play, or making a couple plays, making a couple more stops, and Tennessee's defense, you know, getting Tennessee uh, this victory. Let's hit on the quarterback real quick. Hendon Hooker, we expect to star. We expect him to be healthy, though it's not a guarantee. He has been on the practice field – He's taken the majority of the first-team reps really all week long. Um, Thought Hindenhooker Hooker did a lot of nice things in the first half. The game kind of got away from Tennessee in the second half, of course, and then he was knocked out of the game. You know, what did Tennessee do well in in half number one in Gainesville that I do think you can translate, or that they should translate into four quarters uh, against Missouri today?
1: I mean, it's the line of scrimmage. Tennessee controlled the line of scrimmage for the most part against Florida in that first half offensively, and were able to run the ball because of how they were controlling the line of scrimmage. And as we talked about a little earlier, I I still think Tennessee will do so against Missouri because Missouri is so bad, but Tennessee tech is also bad. And they didn't do it against Tennessee tech. Didn't do it against Bowling green in the second half after not even the second half, the the final three quarters uh, after Cooper got knocked out, didn't do it against Pittsburgh. So yeah, there's a little, you know, hesitation there and, and saying that they'll still do so without Cooper this time, they'll randomly do it for the first time without Cooper. Uh, but again, I, I think the tempo is is really going to be the difference in being yep. able to do it without Cooper. Because again, Missouri has struggled to get aligned, get the play in, communicate it to one another and know what to do. And, and if you're struggling with that against offenses that aren't going up tempo, you're going to struggle with it even more so against an offense that is going up up tempo. So I think that kind of off- offsets the absence of Cooper Mays and will help do so, but that's what I saw against Florida in that first half when when it was manageable is uh Hinden had a time to throw the football and as you mentioned earlier when he was pressured he was good. I tallied 4 for 6, 95 yards and a touchdown against pressure and and that was what I perceived as pressure. Obviously yep. we all have our own interpretation, but uh, what I perceived as pressure, the one, four bad for miss, six, the one bad for six, 95 yards a touchdown. Yep. And, and yep. even on that there, he couldn't step into the throw, not excusing the throw, yep. but he couldn't step into it because he had a, a, a guy in his face. And it's hard to make an accurate pass when, when you have a guy in your face and you can't step into it. So they controlled the line of scrimmage. I think they'll be able to do so because the off tempo or the up tempo uh, will, will keep Missouri on its heels rather than on its toes. And, uh, I I like where Hendon's at. I don't know where you're at with with Hendon, but I think he's a solid solid little quarterback. Again, not an all conference player, but definitely far better than than what we've seen. And I, I've been really impressed with him since he entered the Pittsburgh game. Aside yep. from the fumbles, just one one interception in in what two and a half games, and mm-hmm. even with the one one interception, there haven't been interceptable passes that he has thrown. You saw that a lot with JG where he would throw passes that should have been picked off. I yeah. can't really remember any passes that should have been picked off with Hendon Hooker. My only complaint with Hooker right now is the fumbles. Other than that, I think he's doing a, a really good job. And I think you'll really see his talent against teams like Missouri and South Carolina.
0: Yeah. Uh, I, I think right now he's clearly the best option. And, and again, Joe Milton, Tosh if he would hit on a couple of those deep passes, it's a different conversation. Now, he came in in Florida and he looked awful. He just looked awful. Um, how much does that have to do with sitting over there and, and not being locked in the entire game, coming off the bench late in the fourth quarter, um, just being cold, your team was getting drilled at that point, whatever the case may be. He looked awful against Florida, but um, I still don't think Tennessee's going to give up on Joe Milton because if you could just make a click, I mean, who knows how high the the ceiling is for him. But, now nah, the Hooker's been fine. Clearly the best option. I, I'm with you, man. I think he – he gives a, this Tennessee offense a nice little wrinkle, and the pace is getting better at times as well. I got two keys real quick before we get into our bold predictions. Uh, first key, it's Bazelak against Tennessee Safeties. Tennessee Safeties, as we mentioned, have not played up to par so far. Trayvon Flowers, Jalen McCullough. Um, how will Connor Blazelak, or Bazelak, you know, do uh, against those two guys? And then flip the script. It's simple. Tennessee's running backs against uh, Missouri's linebackers. You got Jabari Small. You got Tyon Evans going up against uh, Devin Nicholson and blaze Aldridge. Uh, I, I, I mean, I wrote a story on it last night, a ball or two, a couple nights ago, ball quest on just how dynamic and how efficient the running backs have been when they've been playing together, how they feed off one another and how you're starting to see them incorporate into the passing game, you know, a 47 yard screen pass to, to Evans there uh, against Florida. So uh, those are my two matchups. I'm really looking forward to watching to see how those unfold and, um, I, again I, I just I continue to think this is a game that Tennessee not only needs it's a game Tennessee if you don't get this game you should be kicking yourself all the way home because you're a better football team in my opinion I almost hit I was halfway to my bowl prediction last week there with that Alante Taylor strip I even got one player involved and in, in when we when we mapped it out uh, my bowl prediction and I'm sorry if I'm stepping on your toes here because I think it might be the, the the obvious one out there Tennessee's going to Not shut down Beatty. He's too good of a player. But Tennessee will hold Beatty in check. I think he will score one touchdown today. I think he will have a combined yardage of 115. You know, I mean, if you can limit him to one touchdown, total yards from scrimmage, 115, rushing and receiving, I think that's a job well done. And so I think overall group effort, Tennessee will channel in and stop Tyler Beatty.
1: That's less than what he's averaging per game. 145 per game is yep. what he is averaging. So I would I would consider that a win, especially if that's paired with the production that Missouri is currently getting elsewhere on offense. Because if if the receivers stay the same, Daniel Parker, the tight end, doesn't do much, no other running back does a ton. And then you get Tyler Beatty, what'd you say? 115, 110?
0: Yeah, like 115. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Then then that's a Tennessee's winning this football game. Uh, Just make sure somebody else doesn't beat you in the Mm -hmm. process of holding Beatty to to 115. My bold prediction is that, and I don't know how bold of the stat is, but because everybody's so focused on the running game, my bold prediction is that Tennessee throws for over 200 yards. And and more specifically, I think Hinton Hooker reaches 200 passing yards. Again, I know that's not a big number, but everybody's keyed in on the run. I think Hooker, uh, assuming the weather, which is a little questionable, as as assuming it's not a downpour, I, I think Hendon Hooker has success through the air and, it, and is able to really open up the running game for Tennessee by making plays uh, with his with his legs. If if that or with his arm, if if that's not bold enough for you, Tyon Evans and Jabari Small combined for two hundred
0: rushing yards. I like it. I like it. And also, you can look at the stat sheet and say, ah, oh, giving up 183 through the air. That's not that bad. That secondary for Missouri is, you know, playing pretty well. Why throw it when you can run it every single time? That stat is skewed. Not saying Missouri's secondary is bad, but they're certainly not as good as they look on paper. Now they have gotten takeaways. Five interceptions, good for them. Um, but why throw it when you can run it every but their offense,
1: the offenses that they've faced to your point about. Missouri's pass defense, I think is 33rd in the country. No. Uh, something like that. It's much better than the rush defense numbers. I, I know that much. Hey, the uh, rush it,
0: defense is second to worst in the country.
1: 129 out of 130. I, I don't think I've ever talked about an SEC team being this bad. I mean, Vanderbilt has a better rushing defense, statistically speaking, than Missouri. That, no. That's how bad it is for Missouri. But uh, the pass defense, those numbers look so good because, like you were just saying, They've gone up against teams that don't throw the ball a ton. Kentucky, Mm -hmm. run first football team. Boston College, run first football team. Two
0: tight ends. And
1: then then the other two games are against SEMO, Southeast Missouri, and Central Michigan. So, like, yeah, the passing numbers defensively are going to look good for Missouri, but they haven't faced a a true passing offense yet. Not saying that Tennessee is. Well, they will get tested
0: regardless, yeah.
1: Yes, so Missouri's not good. The Missouri's passing defense numbers look good because they haven't faced anybody that likes to throw the ball.
0: Game Quest here, Missouri Edition, wrapping up. And, of course, it's brought to you by our friends over at Smoky Mound Organics, East Tennessee's most trusted health and wellness store focusing on natural products and organic remedies to a variety of elements. You can visit any of their four locations in Gatlinburg, Pigeon Forge, Sevierville, and the newest location in Knoxville, 8018 Kingston Pike, right across the street from Traders Joe. Also, you can purchase online at the website, SmokyMountainOrganics.com, and if you go to any of their four locations, mention you're a Volkwess subscriber. You're gonna get 15% off your total price, your total purchase price, 15% off. Just mention Volkwess in-store locations in Knoxville, across the street from the Trader Joe, Sevierville, Pigeon Forge, and Gallenburn. All right, man, it's game day finally here. Both teams are two and two, zero and one in the SEC. Uh, Missouri holds a slim five to four advantage in the nine uh, times they played previously, but Tennessee's won the uh pa- won the last two and four of the last six. So, uh, should be a good one today. I'm expecting the weather not to be great, but excited to uh, watch this team play. And hopefully, Tennessee can pick up a, uh, a victory. Plenty of stuff coming up on the website all throughout the day and throughout Sunday. Right?
1: Oh, I'm muted. There I go. I thought we were getting out the door. My bad. But yeah, the, all, all the typical. We'll have post-game audio up as soon as the game is over. Rob will have his four takes. Eric, Brent, and Austin will be there. Two-minute drill will be filmed and posted. The the post-game reaction pod, uh, those guys will take care of that. That will be posted. I'll have my notebook. We'll have plenty of other stories throughout the day and throughout Sunday and into Monday as uh, Tennessee gets into South Carolina week.
0: Sounds great. For Ben McKee, I'm Eric Cain. It is Tennessee at Missouri Today. 12 o'clock Eastern time, 11 o'clock local time. Uh, Guys, appreciate it as you have been listening to GameQuest, a VolQuest production.
1: You've been listening to GameQuest, a
0: VolQuest pregame podcast with Ben McKee and Eric King. Stay dialed in to VolQuest.com for complete game day coverage. This has been GameQuest, a VolQuest production.